heading into Christmas and uh, the whole of Christmas we're going to be looking at uh, John, just the opening of John's gospel. Um, and uh, did you point out at the beginning, Mark, that we got the, the words of John's gospel or uh, the words of the first few verses of John's gospel round the walls? Have you seen? It's beautiful. In fact, we don't really need to open our Bibles, but um, we will. Um, so this evening, we're just going to read the first four verses together. Hello? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In the beginning was the word. Well, that's all very well, John, but where, we might ask, where is the Christmas story? Where's Christmas gone? You know, where are the angels and the shepherds, and where's the the manger and the stable and the wise men? Where's our Christmas story gone? Actually, talking about Christmas, I wasn't allowed to do this this morning, but can I tell you my latest favorite Christmas joke? It's just a little bit near the edge, so I wasn't allowed to do it this morning. In fact, I don't know if I'm allowed to do it this evening, but anyway, I'm going to. Um, do you know this one? Actually, I heard Nikki Gumbel say it, so it must be all right. Uh, Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary looking desperately for a place to stay. Um, Joseph pleading with the innkeeper, please, please, my wife's expecting a baby. The innkeeper said, well, that's not my fault. Joseph replied, it's not mine either. Okay, that's why I wasn't allowed to tell it this morning. Um, Anyway, John's opening passage. No Christmas story. Not a whiff of incense or camel dung. You know, not not a baby in sight. Not even a genealogy. You know, I mean, the other gospels seem to start in a much more predictable way. Uh, Matthew and Luke both start with Jesus' family tree, placing him in history. Matthew's going back to Abraham. Luke going back, way back to Adam. Both of them telling us the extraordinary happenings around Jesus' birth. Mark admittedly starts a little bit differently. He jumps straight in with an introduction uh, to Jesus' public ministry. And he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Again, all very straightforward. And John admittedly also starts in the beginning. But not just at the beginning of the gospel story... Not even at the beginning of Jesus' family history, you know, even if it does go back to Adam and the Garden of Eden. No, he goes further back, much further back. He allows the clock to keep spinning backwards to the very beginning of time and space. In the beginning, he says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And immediately we realize that this isn't an ordinary story of an ordinary person. You know, John's in the beginning is not the start of one person's life. It's the start and source of all life. And this is picking up the story of creation. And we can't fail to recognize those distinctive words, can we? Echoing the very opening lines of Genesis. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And whatever else John is going to tell us, he wants to see us to see his book as the story of God and the world, not just the story of one character in one place and time. This book is about the creator God 
acting in a new way within his creation. Not a Christmas story, but a creation story. It's a new Genesis. It's about the way in which the long story, which began way back in Genesis, reaches its climax, reaches the climax the creator had always intended. And John is retelling the story of creation with Jesus, the word, at the very center. He's taking us way back before time began, and he's telling us that Jesus, the word of God, was there. You know, there never was a time when Jesus was not You see, Jesus didn't just appear in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. You know, he can't be simply planted in time as a descendant of David or Abraham or even a son of Adam. He's the son of God. And John reminds us he's been with the Father for all eternity. And John is trying to help us understand, as far as our sort of feeble, feeble, finite minds will, will allow us, that Jesus' story has no beginning because he already was in the beginning. There was a time, of course, when there was no universe, no no quasars or pulsars or black holes, no galaxies or constellations, no molecules or atoms or protons or, I don't know, neutrons, electrons, whatever trons you can think of, because that's about my limit. Um, There was a time when none of these things existed. None of the things that scientists have discovered or are still to discover. None of that, none of these things But there was Jesus. He was before time. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John, in his opening verses, takes us far, far from the stables and the shepherds and the wise men. John makes our heads spin. Here he paints a picture of the majestic creator God who spoke and the universe came into being. And the word through whom God created, through whom God spoke, was Jesus. He was the agent of creation. He was there before it all began. Through him all things were made, we're told. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He's the word of God. He's the power of God. He's the action of God. God's words are always accompanied by action. He speaks, and it happens. You know, he said, let there be light, and there was light. By the word of the Lord, Psalm 33 says, were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. In Isaiah 55, God says, the word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You know, right through the Old Testament, God regularly acts by means of his word. And what he says happens. And that's part of what lies behind John's choice of word. You know, the word with a capital W. But what's unique about what John says here is that he doesn't just talk about the word of God, but the word who was God and who was with God. You know, not a Christmas story, but a creation story. Not an idea, but a person. The word has become a person with an identity that's totally one with God. He was God, but he was also distinctive from him. He was with God. So he's separate. He's separate from them. He has a separate personality. He's in relationship with God. 
And that relationship is so close and so personal that they think and act as one. Uh, Tim Chester in The One True Light, I don't know how many of us have been following that this week, but I think it was on uh, Thursday, he reminded us of an amazingly beautiful passage in the book of Proverbs where you catch something of this intimacy of relationship between the God, uh, God and his son, between God and the word. And it's surprising because here in the middle of Proverbs, we're not expecting to get a description of creation. The most surprising place to find it. And described in a most surprising way. You know, we find it's the wisdom of God speaking as if it's a person. You know, this could have been Jesus speaking. The wisdom of God, the word of God. Just listen to him. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. I mean, isn't that stunning? Such an extraordinary description. I mean, so unexpected and so moving as we're given a glimpse into the, into the delight between father and son as they work together, conceiving, planning, uh, creating the world. And John, in the opening words to his gospel, is also wanting to give us the same sense of awe and wonder at this relationship. A relationship that, of course, goes way beyond our comprehension. And if we're tempted in any way to think of the word as just an abstract principle, John is telling us here with a definitive no. The word is a person, not an idea. Not a philosophy to live by, but a person to live with. And John adds, you know, I'm going to introduce you to him which he does in an almost sort of matter-of-fact way in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word stepped into the world that he had made. The invisible God becomes visible. A little girl was drawing a picture, and the teacher asked her, what are you drawing? And she replied, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher was a bit surprised at this and said, well, dear, you realize no one knows what God looks like. And without missing a beat, the little girl replied, well, they will when I've finished. The message of the Christmas story is that God has a face. And we can see him if we have the eyes and we can hear him if we have the ears. C.S. Lewis says, this is the grand miracle, the grand miracle, the fact that God became flesh. And he puts it like this, one is often asked whether we couldn't have a Christianity stripped, or as people who ask it say, freed from its miraculous elements, a Christianity with the miraculous elements suppressed. And I tell them, you can't possibly do that with Christianity because the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. That which was beyond all space and time, which was uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, 
descended into his own universe and rose again, bringing nature up with him. It's precisely one great miracle, he says. If you take that away, there's nothing specifically Christian left. There may be many admirable human things which Christianity shares, but there would be nothing specifically Christian. And we can't, we mustn't take the miraculous out of Christmas. You know, it's not a little fairy story. It's the grandest miracle of all, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And if we want to know who God is, we simply need to look long and hard at Jesus. And at that first Christmas, John says, God's word entered history in the person of Jesus, bringing what God always brings when he speaks, life and light. Just look at verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The creator has come into the world he created. But we're not going to this time see acts of creation. You know, that work's already been done. We're going to see acts of recreation. We're going to see Jesus commanding the storm to be still. We're going to see him, uh, see him uh, uh, giving sight to the blind. We're going to see the lame walk. We're going to see the sick be healed. And even more in this, of course, we're going to see the miracle work on the cross when death itself was defeated. This is the creator walking in his own creation, bringing new life, not just physical life, but recreated life, rebirth, the life of being truly alive in a relationship with God. Life, of course, as it was originally designed by him to be experienced and enjoyed. Not an ordinary life, but an extraordinary life, because it's life in him. In him was life, John says, and that life was the light of men. And you know, life is an absolutely key word in John's gospel. He uses it again and again and again. Everything he says will find its life in Jesus, who is the source and the giver of all life. And John is so passionate about this that he, he includes that word in all, at all sorts of times, in all sorts of situations. So, for example, when Jesus describes himself, John records that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes, again, John records him saying, I am the bread of life. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. When he talks about this life, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it in all its fullness. When he talks about the next life, he says, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. And at the very end of his gospel, John says that he tells us these things so that, what? So that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, wait for it, we may have life in his name. Life in him, life in Jesus. That's what it's all about. You know, living life with Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center of our little universes. So what is distinctive about this life, life in him? What's so different about this life as opposed to the aspirations in life that many people have? You know, the desire to be 
healthy or safe or successful or secure or significant. You know, because none of those things are wrong. They're all important to us, but they're not life-giving in the eternal sense. So here, I've just, um, I'll just throw out a few distinctives that take our lives out of the ordinary into the extraordinary when we find our life in him. First thing, life in him should bring freedom from fear. You know, and I don't know about you, but with all that's going on along in, uh, uh, in the world around us, going on in the world around us, we can often find ourselves, can't we, quite fearful, quite anxious for the future. But John is telling us we don't need to be because we know the Alpha and Omega. We know the beginning and the end. We know the one who holds eternity in his hands. And life in him means we learn to trust him, means we learn to believe, to hold on to his promises, not to live in fear, but in faith. Secondly, life in him brings freedom from death. You know, not that we won't die, but that Jesus has broken the power of death so that now even though, you know, our earthly bodies will perish, we will be put into the ground, we will live with him forever. Life in him means that we can be sure of our future, of our hope, of eternal life. Life in him brings freedom from doubt. As we've read here, he's the word. He's the truth. He's the word who has proved himself both powerful and faithful and true from the beginning of time. We can trust him. We can trust him. And when we have life in him, we learn to trust him to trust him and take him at his word. Life in him brings freedom from guilt because Jesus came to give us new life, didn't he? A recreated life, a life that knows the deep, deep work of forgiveness and the freedom that brings from sin and guilt and shame. When we live in him, we should learn, we should know how to live in that freedom of both being forgiven and forgiving others. It's a deep and powerful work. Life in him brings us into relationship with our creator. Love came down at Christmas. Through Jesus, we can know ourselves. We can know the love of the Father, both personally and intimately. Life in him brings that, gives that as a gift to us, to know that we are deeply loved. And I think more than that, life in him allows us to love others. So that when we see a film, as we did earlier, about the work of IJM, You know, we should, and we find ourselves being stirred, that deep love that that God gives us for our, our, our fellow human beings. Not just to be loved, but to be able to love in return. And life in him brings us into the light. You know, it takes us out of our own small, sort of petty, selfish dreams. It allows us to be part of God's great, big creation plan. It allows us to see what life is truly about. It allows us to see more clearly. It gives us clarity about life. And Jesus tells us, doesn't he, that he is the light. He's the light of the world. You know, he doesn't just have life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. He doesn't just have light. He doesn't just give light. He is light. You know, no other founder or prophet or sage of any other religions makes these sort of claims. You know, they all say, this is the way. 
you know, to find life, do this or that or this. And you'll then connect to the infinite. You'll become one with God. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In me, you find life. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and life to all its fullness right now, right now. And I wonder, for those of us who are already in a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus, whether this is a moment, this is a good moment, just as we come into the Christmas season, to recommit to that life in him, to say, Lord, yes, it is all about you. It's not about me. It's not about my little dreams. It's about the big dream, the big vision that you've brought me into. You've given me life, life itself. And I want to grasp it with both hands. So shall we stand? And as the van comes up, let's, let's do that, shall we? And as I said, for some of us, we are already in this relationship. And it's for all of us, it, it, we need to constantly come back, recenter, don't we? Recognize that Jesus is the source of all that we are and all that we long to be. For others, you may not yet be in that relationship with God. And I would just say to you this Christmas, make it, I don't know why you're here this evening, but make it your goal to seek him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can investigate, you can seek, you can ask your questions, and they will stand They will. The Bible will stand up to those questions. But let's just for a moment, let's just close our eyes and let's just ask God to come, to come again. And Lord, we ask that you would come and fill us again. Fill us with your life. We want life in you. We want to know that life that can fill us, motivate us, inspire us. And right now, we just recommit ourselves to you, to your plan for our lives. We ask that you would fill us with life and light. And if we've been looking in other places for life, If we've been looking elsewhere, Lord, we come back. This point we just say, we come back to you. And we say again, you are the life. You are the way. You are the truth. And we won't look anywhere else for that. We put you again at the center. And if life has been exhausting, if life has been disappointing... If life has been draining us, God is saying, come back to the source. Come back to the fountain of life. And Lord, we ask that you would come. Come by your spirit. And we recommit to that vision of life in you. Nothing less. Nothing less. And we thank you. Thank you for your son who came and showed us the face of God. Thank you that you are personal. For each of us, we can have that intimate relationship with you. And again, Lord, we ask that you would help us to make that our goal.
And if any way that relationship has has become mundane or ordinary, Lord, we pray that this Christmas you would again take it into the extraordinary. That we would know again what it means to have a living relationship with you. So, Lord, come. And if there's been anything you know that's been just veering you off course, just distracting you, just taking your eyes off him, maybe just in your own mind right now, just in your heart, just confess that. Recognize that before him. Let's have that honesty in our relationship with him. Just admit to him, say, I'm sorry. And let's just in our own words, just say, I come back. I come back to that place, that place that puts you at the center. You are the life. You are the source of all things good. You are all that we need.